You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or batteries for your trail cameras, Interstate Batteries has the batteries for your everyday life. Stop into a local retail location. They have thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Or go and visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. The Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND, that's all lowercase, all one word, SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout, and that'll get you 25% off of your purchase. You wanting to know more about saddle hunting? Well, check out tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting. And now, let's get to the show. And I, sh- I'll so used to, I'll, I, sh- I wish I had some pictures on here. I was ice fishing out there this year, sitting on the roof of the house with my feet on the ice. That's wild. That's how much, like this lake is flooded to the point where water is up through the first story, pushing almost the second story now. Holy cow, man. I can't even imagine, I, I can't imagine that. Really, when you talked about ice fishing, like, I don't even know what that's, <laughs> I don't even know what that's like to walk on frozen over lakes and stuff. Like, that's such a foreign concept down here. Like, it's really cold when you're out there and there's, like, little ice chips in the water, you know. Like, that's that's as cold as it gets. When you're when you're easy, when you're still able to break ice in your boat in your in your kayak in fall or like winter to get out to do some late season hunting, whereas I'm already experiencing that sometimes in late October where I'm breaking ice. Jeez, that's crazy. I can't imagine. I have that. I've been ice fishing a couple times before deer hunting, which is always the first Saturday before Thanksgiving. I've been out on the ice fishing before then. Holy cow! <laughs> I can't. It's cr- it, it, this year, this year, our November, so I was actually in Kentucky during the month of November, and 
I mean, dude, it was crazy warm. Like, I was in short sleeves, sweating. Like, usually it's, you know, down below freezing in the mornings. No, it felt like a spring. It felt like, it felt like spring out there. Um, really? It was just, it was crazy. So, and I know a lot of a lot of places this past season, it was unseasonably warm during the rut. And, uh, but, I mean, really, for us, down here in, in Alabama, I'm in Alabama, and uh, I mean, our November, December is when it starts getting really cold, and you'll get some like, you know, 30, 25, 30 degree days, and every once in a while, you get something down in the teens, and it's like, that's just like stupid cold for us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're, we're not used this, to it. I will say, I'll agree, this weather this fall was crazy, because during, um, grouse camp for me i did it late this year i did it the weekend before halloween normally i'm second week of october and during that week i got snow every single day the lakes and flowages were already starting to freeze and i had highs in the low 20s which is crazy. like that's crazy cold and then it, it warmed back up during both like after that weekend like all the snow melted like the lakes unfroze and like it got unseasonably warm and like i remember that because i'm like this is crazy because I was hunting deer and it was colder in fall when I was hunting birds. Wow. That's wild. Like it was just such a drastic weather swing. Like people were up north ice fishing already. Like I think some people got on an early ice, like late October, early November, and then everything melted and we didn't get ice again. It was late because everybody's everybody at one point was like, is it ever going to freeze? And it always does. Like yeah. we always get ice, but sure. everybody gets all itchy then. And they're like, it's the second week of December, and I'm still out on ice fishing. Like, oh, it's one of them years. Yeah, and we have, I mean, we always, as long as I can remember, we've had, you'll have those cold fronts that come through where you get, you know, below freezing weather. But for the most part, I mean, 40 degrees, I would say, is a pretty average temperature during the, like, late fall, early winter, around Christmas time. As far as your, like, your highs are going to be somewhere probably in the 40s. Most days. That's that. That's that's super comfortable hunting, though. It in, is, in my opinion, like forties for me is su- like that's so easy to dress for. Yeah, it's it's really not bad. And that's I was talking to a buddy earlier today, and we were talking about like you know just different camo uh, companies that are out there and like hunting systems that they have. Um, we were talking about all that kind of stuff and just kind of how that for the for a southern guy it's pretty easy to find a system that works because you don't really like there are maybe once or twice. I have like a, a down jacket. Uh, I use scree gear and I have a down jacket that is like a incinerator the thing is warm. And I sure. maybe wear it like two or three times a season, just on those days that are really cold. Most of the time, as long as I got like decent Merino base layers and, a good jacket, you know, wind-breaking jacket, I'm going to be comfortable in most most weather. See, and, and, you know, there's been gun seasons for me where that would cut it, not a problem. Um, like, I, I have, like, the heaviest weight Moreno that Badlands makes, the heaviest weight, mm-hmm. and there's times that's nowhere near enough. I mean, when it gets real cold, I bring a wool blanket with me, like yeah. a, an old-school traditional wool blanket so I can wrap up my legs and my feet because if I can keep my feet warm, <laughs> the rest of my body stays warm. And if it's really pushing like highs in the single digits, if not zero, because we've had that for gun season, um, I'll even I'll even break out the Milwaukee heated sweatshirt and just carry extra batteries, oh, like heck. keep the core warm. Yeah. And then 
I mean, it's just so much more stuff you have to haul around with you, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of being able to wear everything that I'm going to wear for the rest of the of the day. Like a lot, and what I mean is like a lot of people will walk in, you know, in short sleeve shirt and pants. I don't really like to do that. I like to once I get to the base of the tree, I like to be able to start climbing. Sure. And when I hear people talk about, well, you know, I just pack in all my outer outer layers and change when I'm at the base of the tree. Like, eh, that just doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to me. And uh, those merino layers that you're talking about, you know, that's really good for that because while you may sweat, they wick away that moisture and they don't like just get like sweaty and wet the whole time. Because that, right. mis- that is miserable if you've got a cold day and you sweat a lot walking in. Um, and that's been the great thing about using a system, you know, a, a clothing system, a layering right. system, is being able to, I mean, I literally walk in, which I'm using the kayak a lot of the time too, so I have a lot of, you know, upper body motion, and so that keeps me pretty warm. Um, sure. But, you know, I don't sweat, and that's a that's a big part about doing that system. A lot of people say that, hunting camo doesn't really matter and when it comes to patterns it probably doesn't but having a system that works and a system that's like designed for that style of hunting it it does matter a pretty good bit when well, it comes I, to staying in the woods i agree 100 percent. i mean a lot i hate to say you get what you pay for with some things because some things you don't but when it's come mm-hmm. when you start talking like different materials that hunting clothes can be made out of in even not just hunting pillows, we can break it into hiking clothes and just outdoor outdoor wear altogether. I mean, mm-hmm. when you get into the performance level categories, it makes a huge difference in your all-day comfort. It does. It does. And, you know, the style of hunting that I do most of the time is it, when we start getting – so anybody who's listening who's familiar with Alabama, you'll know that Alabama has weird ruts. So um, if you were to look at a rut map of the state of Alabama, it looks like a weather radar in like a hurricane blowing through because they, it's like a heat map type thing where they have different colors for times of the rut. We have like four or five of them here. And so where I hunt most of the time, our rut, like peak rut is second week of December. Um, usually like December 5th through the, we'll say the 15th. That's when you're going to get the highest like chasing activity. And it may not be peak breeding, but it's peak, chasing sure and um and so that's a a cool part then you got places in north alabama like far north alabama just i mean really 30 miles away from where i'm at where january is like late january is it and then south alabama you got late january rut and then you got parts around uh like eufaula alabama which is right on the georgia border and their ruts like in november like early november um, I mean, it's really a strange rut that we have here, and um, it, it it definitely, if you're going to hunt in this state, you have a lot of opportunities to, to hunt the rut, and so you have, a, that means you have a lot of opportunities to hunt all day long, and so you want something comfortable. That's kind of my point, is like, for a southern guy, or somebody who's in Alabama or Mississippi, they have kind of the same type of... Uh, weird ruts and 
if you're going to hunt these type of areas, you really do have a lot of opportunities to hunt the rut from November through February, you know, till your season's over. Um, you could chase a rut, whereas most parts of the country, you pretty much guys, guys are preparing for that Halloween through November 14th time frame but that's where it is that's what it is in wisconsin almost like clockwork and you might get a little variance between the far north and the south but not much yeah and it's it's wild to think about because like guys like yourself you have that window of time when you know hunting is the best this is this is when i need to grind and grind hard whereas guys down here we've got guys who are grinding like that literally from november november through february or until they're tagged out because they can, that's crazy. you know, and so they're just going hard at it. And that that's when it becomes important to have a good system, whether it's, you know, your your hunting method, whether you're hunting out of a tree stand, a saddle climber, um, your pack. All of that stuff works together to create a system and guys in the south just eat it up because that's that's our season, man. Like <laughs> we've got to grind. And like I was telling you before we recorded the. The hunting is a little bit more difficult because our deer density is not nearly as high as a lot of places. And we don't have sure. a lot of ag and we don't have a lot of uh, those concentrated food sources that uh, that a guy can hunt. And so hunting here is is a little bit tougher. You know, you're not just going to go out and see, you know, a big buck every day, you know, or, or right, and you right. might you might hunt all season long and never have an opportunity. And uh and so it's just a it's just a, a crazy place to live in, but I love it. I mean, not, I, I wouldn't trade it. I mean, nothing's guaranteed in Wisconsin. I mean, if you get on some private land with good egg, I mean, you can almost call it guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really, I mean, you can't call the the big buck guaranteed, but you pretty much can get guaranteed a doe. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm able to hunt private forty acres at my father's father in law's land, and I take a doe every year. Um, because they're all about the bucks and it's like our doe to buck ratio is so so far off it's last last i saw on camera and i was trying to figure it out i was in the range of like 11 ish does to one buck wow <laughs> so i'm like wild. we got to start taking like we got to start taking some does like there's mm-hmm. a reason they offer i think in the county i hunt we can get four eggs per person yeah which it was just crazy to think about and like so i don't feel bad just putting meat in my freezer freezer hey. I, I mean i you talk about four doe tags per person is a lot. In Tennessee, you can kill three does a day. That's crazy. Three does a day every day of the hunting season. Um, we've got parts of Alabama where you can kill a doe a day. Most of the public land in Alabama doesn't let you do that. But sure. in Tennessee, with a rifle, all rifle season on just about every public piece, you can kill three does a day off of that piece with a rifle. Um, I can't even, I can't even imagine like, cause I know how many complaints I hear that they say, cause you see a lot of, you see a lot of people where they're like that hunt, and I hunt public land as well. Uh, I still grind the public when I want to get out there. There's certain areas I really enjoy to hunt publicly. There's certain, like, for, especially for bird hunting, all my bird hunting is public land, all the big North woods of public, public, all the grinding I do. Like I use my kayak to get to different spots to take my dog woodcock hunting on small islands. All of that's public. Um, my deer hunting, I get kind of lazy cause it really isn't my true passion. I mm. like chasing birds mainly. So I can just walk in the woods with my bow and go jump in a tree stand rather than trying to grind it out in public. Like I am all the time for birds. Yeah. I'll take that, I'll take that run. But there are some spots I still do, but I hear a lot of complaints from like 
different hunters that we have no deer. We have no deer. It's because we shoot too many does. We're shooting too many does. I'm like, I don't think that's it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't want to say some people are, I think some people, I don't want to say they're lazy. I think some get complacent. Yeah. And they keep going to the same areas, and those areas have changed. The forests have matured. The food sources have changed. The trails have changed. That all changes everything in your hunting strategy. Yeah, you've got to be mobile, man. The The greatest thing I ever did for my hunting style was taking on the mobile hunting method. And it's going to be rare that I sit in the same tree more than maybe two or three times, you know, during the rut. And... If I go back, it's because I have some intel or maybe my last sit was a really solid one. And, you know, I, sure. but if, if I go a sit and I don't see a deer, I'm not going to go back there the next day. I'm just not going right. back there the next day. And and so what I found with that is, in, and I really started doing this last year, um, but re- saving those those high opportunity, high odds areas that I know are out there. And I'll save them until the conditions are absolutely perfect. Um, that doesn't mean I'm not going to hunt somewhere else. Maybe go check right. out a new spot or whatever. But my spots that I know are like the primo areas where I have a really good chance of killing a, killing a buck. I'm going to wait until the time is right. I don't want to go in there on a bad wind just because I know there's a big buck in the area. And some people aren't that way. Some people will chance it and they'll get really aggressive. I'll get really sure. aggressive whenever it's safe to be aggressive, if that makes sense. And no, it doesn't make sense. And it makes sense to save those spots too. Like you're saying, and mm-hmm. that's where you being mobile and putting in the, I'm, I'm sure you put in a quite a bit of time scouting. I, you know, that's the thing is I used to, and, um, right. I used to scout a bunch during the summertime and I'll still go and scout. Like if, if there's an, a spot that I just happen on, on a map, that I'm like, man, I need to go check that out. I'll still go scout. I do most of my scouting during turkey season. And All right. because I'm I'm definitely a run and gun turkey hunter. Like I'm just that's just how I'm gonna hunt birds. I'm not gonna sure. go set up on a field and sit there all day. I'm gonna walk ridges. I'm gonna try to find them. And so what I'm able to do during that turkey I, for whatever reason I work a whole lot harder to kill turkeys than I do for deer. And I cover more <laughs> ground and I go new places. And I'm always kind of multitasking while I'm doing that. You know, I, I'm going to be concentrated on turkey hunting, but if I find something that's like, man, I need to mark this for deer, then I'll do that. And actually, um, this, uh, well, he's not on this wall. He's upstairs. One of the bigger bucks that I've killed on public, um, I killed him a couple years back, and uh, it was a spot that I just, uh, I wasn't plan. I wasn't even planning on deer hunting it. I had went in there during the spring, and thought, man, this looks good for deer. I ended up shooting a turkey in there that day. Never went back until one day I was, uh, we had a cold front come through. It was in October, end of October, man. And it's not even really close to the rut right there. I'm still a month out from rut. But uh, my motor that I used on my new canoe stopped working that morning at the boat ramp. Okay. And I'm like cranking it, trying to get this thing to work. I'm like, man, it's not working. Well, the sun's starting to creep up. And I don't have time to paddle to the spot that I was going to go. It was one of those days where I was going in on a perfect condition to go into a kill spot. And sure, sure. And I, I knew I had good odds to kill one that day. And uh, so I had to change my plans and just go to this spot that was a second, 
a second option, really. It was the only reason I went there is because I could get there in time. I could paddle to it pretty quick. And so I paddle in there, hang up. The sun's already, I mean, I can already see by the time I get hung up. Ten minutes later, big, huge buck walks by. I mean, literally walks right underneath my tree and I shoot him. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, he he was a tank of a deer. And, you know, like it was, it that was all from turkey. That was all from scouting sure. it during turkey season and kind of having an idea of where I wanted to be. Um, I've got a deer that's hanging up right here over to my, to my right that is, I killed him in a spot that is right now uh, probably the best spot to see deer numbers. And the only reason I found, okay. I found that place is because I found it during turkey season. And, sure. uh, and, and you, what you get during that time is the leaves haven't all, it hasn't greened up all the way yet. So you're still able to see the deer are on their same type of winter patterns a lot of times. Sure. And, um, it's not hot as heck. I mean, right now we're getting, you know, 85, 90 degree days with 4 million percent humidity. And right. You don't want to be out there grinding it in the thick jungles down there. It's miserable, man. And, um, I, if, like I said, if there's a spot that I just happen on that I want to see in person before deer season, I'll go check it out. But for the most part during the summertime, I'm trying to grind away at work and, uh, I'm trying to spend time with my family and save up those, (laughs) save up those days for for deer season. That's what I'm, that's, that's the most valuable thing I can do right now. And, uh. If I get an itch to go out and scout, then I'll do it. I But like I said, I used to. That's how I was able to set up a lot of these spots for success is by – and it takes years. Like, it literally right. takes years. And I, so when I started out, I was doing that. I was scouting during the summer, finding new areas, doing all that stuff. Now I've got a really good grasp on the places that I want to key in on during the season. And I do, you know – I'll do a lot of in-season scouting, so like hanging okay. hunts type type thing where I'll just find a, a big area and I'll pinpoint a spot that looks good on a map. And I may never have been there before, but I'm just going to go and I'm going to scout it until I find a spot to hunt. I'm going to hang up and I'm going to hunt there. And what kind, uh, when, you, when you're hanging up, what, are you using the hang on? Are you a climber guy? Or are you a saddle guy? I'm a saddle guy. Um, and I've talked to a couple people that have gone that way and they keep telling me I need to try it. You do because, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not like saddle guys are kind of a joke in a lot of ways right now in the hunting community (laughs) because they're, they're gear nuts. All they do is talk about how they hunt from a saddle and they care more about, you know, having the latest and greatest climbing method than they do about actually killing a deer. That's not everybody. And, but, but it's kind of, it's goofy, man. A lot of the saddle hunting forums are all about brand names and, it's just, it's just dumb. And, uh, a lot of it's just stupid and I don't care for it, but it really is for me. It's the, I mean, it's the best way for me to be able to be mobile and I don't dread, you know, carrying all my gear, you know, a mile or two miles or three miles. I'll carry it all. I wear the saddle in. You can kind of see right back there. I can't, right there on that pole that's behind me. Okay. Uh, I've got all my saddle gear hanging up and I'll wear that saddle in and I got a pack at that packs all my sticks and my 
uh, platform, and I just go, man. And number one, I'm using so a kayak. Still, so with a saddle, you're still using a platform then? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a little bitty, it's a little bitty tiny okay. platform. Um, it's like three pounds. You know, it's it's pretty small. Super super lightweight, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's very lightweight. Um, and then I'm using the tethered, uh, tethered one climbing sticks, which are like less than a pound each. Um, I mean, they're stupid light. Okay. And I did that originally I did that because I moved to self filming. And when I started filming, I didn't want to carry all this filming equipment plus a climber in. Right. I tried the hang on. I hated that. Um, I'd hunted from a climber for most of my life, uh, just periodically. And, uh, and they're great. I mean, they're, they're mobile, but they're heavy as heck. And they're heavy, and you need the right. At least I don't know. Maybe the laws are different in Georgia, but Wisconsin, you can't cut public trees on public land. You're not even supposed to cut trim branches on public land. So yeah, you're not supposed that to. That can make here. so that can make a climber slightly difficult, unless if you have trees that are good for a climbing stand. I mean, we have some tall pine forests, but that's not necessarily where I'm going to be hunting. Is big old pines. We have good trees. I mean, in Alabama, you're not going to struggle, especially if you're gun hunting. You're not going to struggle to get into an area and find a good tree. But with the climber, sure. with the climber, I mean, with a, a saddle and sticks, I can get into any tree I want. And so I'm never, right. I'm never limited to, um, to what I can climb up in. It's lightweight. When I'm in my kayak, which is 95% of the time I'm whitetail hunting, I'm going to be kayak hunting. And I wear it. I wear my saddle with me. I don't have to have a special spot for a stand or anything like that. I literally wear it on me the whole time from the time I leave my truck till I'm at the spot. So it's uh, it made sense for me. A lot of guys do it and end up not liking it or don't give it enough time or are using it incorrectly or taking bad advice. And what I find with a lot of saddle hunters that they do is they don't give it time to learn how, like they're so caught up in equipment and gear that they don't ever learn the gear that they have. They're sure. literally switching. They're switching their whole system every single year because something new came out, and they can't ever get comfortable with it because they don't they don't use it long enough to get comfortable with it. Um, and so I, that's that's the goofy part about saddle hunters is that they're just most of them are gear nuts, and anymore it's kind of getting to the point like there's some people out there who are using the the DeQuisto series point five. Uh, uh, hang on stand it's like it's like seven pounds or something like that it's super light okay but they're using that stand with a saddle and using that stand as a platform and then using their saddle with it and i just don't understand i'm like i thought the whole purpose of this thing was to make our system smaller you know more minimalist right right and uh and it works some people love it i just don't get it like it's not that 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 would I would never even look at that and say that's a possibility for me because I'm just not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to take a stand and a saddle in you know I want to right I wanna at use... that point I'm just taking on a hang on I'll just take a hang on and some lightweight sticks at that point why bring the saddle at all yeah yeah I, and I guess I see they're they're wanting the full advantage of a stand plus the full advantage of a saddle but that's just too much too much stuff for me I just can't <laughs> I can't deal with that. Um, but I do love it, man. I, I suggest anybody, anybody who's hunting uh, public land for sure to give it a shot 
and uh, Tether does these teach and train events all throughout the summer where they'll have they'll host these like demo days in different cities in different areas they'll host these demo days where you can come and test out all their stuff because most saddles aren't in like sporting goods stores so you kind of have to blind buy unless you are able to go to one of these teach and train events and uh and they're free don't cost anything you can try it out shoot your bow in them like test out the whole system and uh they've got a bunch of them throughout the summer that's cool. That, it's cool that they're taking that much effort in the community to try to get their gear out and get people comfortable in it too, rather than, oh, we can sell you this and you, or we yeah. can show you actually how to use it. Oh, let's take it one step farther. Bring your bow with, try to shoot out of it. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. it's almost, it's almost like kayak demo days. Like when we take people out on kayaks and show them the difference between the stability of, of the Flint versus the F12 and how the pursuit paddles and all these different things and the unlimited once I finally get mine, I can't wait for that. Um, it's kind of the same way right there because that way they're like we're showing them how it works and making them comfortable so they know what's going on. So it's really cool to hear like different parts of the industry are doing the same thing in a completely different aspect of it. Yeah, and as far as I know, Tethered is the only company doing that right now, which Tethered, tethered everybody who knows about saddle hunting probably knows that it in, knows about it in some way because of Tethered. Um, All right. You know, they, they really – brought the brought the it wasn't they didn't invent the saddle but they marketed it very well got it in the hands of a lot of people like the hunting public and hushin and um chris b like there's so many people that uh that people watch on youtube and stuff and they got it in their hands and they've done a killer job of it and they're just really good dudes and uh i think i think they look at the all the brand stuff kind of the same way as I do is like they don't they're not trying they're trying to make money you know obviously they're trying to right, right. trying to sell products and stuff but they achieved their goal their first goal that they had was to just expand saddle hunting like that was that was it they didn't care what people were using you can come to one of their teaching trains wearing another brand saddle and they're not going to care one bit they just want people to learn the benefits of saddle hunting and uh that's cool that's a that's a cool philosophy that hey if you have a saddle come out to one of our events we'll help you yeah that's pretty much that's been their mentality forever um and uh and of course all my stuff is all my stuff is tethered i started working with those guys um when they at the very beginning um i was good friends with them before they started the company and um they kind of helped me get get going with it and uh the first time i ever heard about it i was on a pod i was actually a guest on a podcast talking about kayak hunting and how i took my climber in and stuff and greg godfrey who's the owner of tethered uh before he had tethered he sent me a message on facebook was like man i listened to you on i'm listening to you on this podcast and you need to be in a saddle there's no reason anybody using a kayak to hunt should be using a climber that's dumb <laughs> and, uh, and I, was I like, like it just blunt yeah. just right to the point you're doing it wrong let me yeah. make your life easier and it, and it did man it made my life so much easier i'm interested in it i'm definitely i'm gonna have to look to see if they have one of those um training things out out by me anywhere i'm sure they probably do um i'm sure they do but I'm gonna... uh uh i believe garrett prawl diy sportsman is in wisconsin i think that's where he lives and he's on the tethered team um and uh, 
So I'm sure they're. I'm sure they got. They got several of them up there, up up north, that you could probably get your hands on one. Because I definitely do. There is some spots where I do use my kayak to get in for. Like I said, I still do chase the occasional public land buck when I get that urge. Or the last season I really did that was when my my dog got hurt early on in the year. Um, this was a few years back, but he had a thorn go through his paw and completely come through the top and just butterfly it open. Oh my gosh! Like it was. It was bad. It was real. So it started with him starting to limp a little bit. And I found a little tiny, like just this little tiny hole on the inside of his foot. And I'm like, what's going on here? So I clean it up and it doesn't get clean. It doesn't get clean. So I was actually able to get a bunch of mud and like goo and like pus out of it. I'm like, ay, ay, ay. so I took him, I cleaned it all up really good. I took him to the vet the next day. I really like my vet. They got me in right away. No questions. They're like, we can't even find the hole. Like you, this is like one of the best amateur cleanup wound jobs we've ever seen. I'm like, Hey, I pay attention when I come here. Yeah. Um, but that night, like he was kind of like gingery a little bit with, and then he always, my dogs sleep on the beds with me, man. They're part of my family. Um, he jumped off the bed and he yelped. And I looked down, there's blood all over the carpet. I'm like what just happened? I look at the top of his paw and it's just split wide open. Oh man. I don't know what came out of his paw. I never found it. It probably was somewhere in the floor or whatnot. I don't know if it was like, it, it had to have been, it was definitely stiffer than like a fox on or like a plant leaf or like any of those like little plant odds that like to travel. It was definitely stiffer than that. Sorry. <laughs> We're, we got guests coming in. Uh, um, I don't know what's going on here. Um, anyways, so yeah, we were we were in there and we were like, no, I'm, I'm all thrown off. Mr. Daniel Perry from The Real. I believe he's on The Real. No, what show is he on? I should know this. Just kind of jumped into our stream quick, kind of threw me for a loop. He's gone now. Anyways, um, but yeah, that year when my dog got hurt, I got real big into public land deer hunting because I couldn't chase them birds. Because I could, don't get me wrong, but I don't chase birds without my dogs because my dog is my whole experience there. And yeah. I, do, I, I don't do this for – I do it for more than just taking – I, like harvesting meat or taking an animal I, it's the whole experience for me it's far more yeah. than killing to me like the, that's like the so far down on the list that's just icing on the cake if i if i'm successful at that side but if myself and my dog are out in the woods chasing grouse and we get some flushes even if i don't get a shot off and my dog is working great and beautiful sunrise and the birds are holding that to me is far more important than coming home with a bird in the bag yeah yeah for sure so that was so that was the last year I really chased deer hard just because I couldn't hunt with my dog. I'm like, it's not hunting without my dog. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I understand that. I'm I'm similar in, I mean, I'm still, it's still deer hunting, but um, like if my kayak is out of commission or, it, you know, if there's something right. I have an issue, I'm, a lot of times I'm just like, I don't really want to go because that's my whole experience that I enjoy is using that kayak. And, um, you know, I've killed deer not using it in the past several years and they're not nearly as memorable for me once you've once you've had that experience of like putting a deer on a boat and paddling it out and like there's just something about that experience that's just surpasses dragging you know and like sure or packing sure. one out and doing that kind of thing and um so my like my my standard for the experience my standard for bucks isn't like huge you know like, I want to kill a decent deer occasionally if I'm in the right situation and right. calls for it. I may shoot a smaller buck, too. Like, it just depends on the situation. But 
overall, like, I really want, I want to kayak it out if I kill one. Like, that's just, it's just how I am. And I actually got to uh, this buck that's right here on the wall, the, the front one right there. Um, I did hit, I shot him on a, a kayak trip that was like five miles from the boat ramp. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's it. That's moving. Oh, you, you also, was that with a motor? Cause oh, I know yeah. you did mention. So what are you using for a motor? Let's, all right, let's finish the story quick. And then I want to hear about your kayak. Sound. No, that was just the, that was the story is like, that, oh, set, uh. that set a new standard for fun is like, I went a long ways. Cause even with a motor in the dark, you're not going very fast. Like, no, and, you, you can't see even anything. At, even at full throttle, what, I mean, what do you get in five miles an hour? Six, maybe? Uh, I get about eight on. Oh, that's pretty that. good. So I'm using a uh, Yamaha, uh, Yamaha 2.5 okay. horsepower motor. And I'm using the, uh, so I have an unlimited and I've got the F12. I'm kind of going back and forth on what I like better. I don't know. I honestly don't know which one I like better um for a hunting for a hunting uh application because i mean that that f12 is so wide and so stable with that with the motor on it um like it's just really hard for me to give that up i just i'll probably hunt with both of them honestly sure um i really i really like that boat that f12 that was the first new canoe that i ever bought and uh man it it was it was long before i was on the team anything like that i was just trying to find the best kayak for hunting and got that i guess it was the second the first turkey season that i had it i bought that motor that 2.5 and then that changed everything and i've i've used a uh i've used a trolling motor with it um for deer hunting uh, my, when that motor went out of commission that day when i shot that big buck <laughs> um i didn't get the motor fixed for the rest of the season like just because I was, I was just so caught up in hunting. Like I, I didn't want to sure. take the time to go and take it to the shop. So I just used a trolling motor the rest of that season, and uh, then got the motor back. And dude, that thing is, it's awesome because. So I tell people, people are like, "Man, you got so much money invested in that new canoe, you could just buy a John boat." And I'm like, "Yeah," but then whenever it comes to wanting to hunt a, a little small creek or a swamp or something like that. Then all I've got is a John boat with a motor on it that I can't use. Or if I right, want to drag right. my boat a couple hundred yards um, to a creek from a parking area, all I got to do is just throw this thing on a cart. I can't do that with a John boat. Like I am limited a little bit on how far I can go and how fast I can get there. Right. You but are. I can still I mean, get there most of the time. I mean, five miles is a long ways to go in the dark. And I mean, that's I a very it. long ways. I mean, um, that, it, that's. It's a long ways that's, in a boat, <laughs> you know, like right, that's, a, that's a long right. trip, it, even in a I mean, boat. Like, so I was running the pursuit last year with a three horsepower long tail mud motor for duck hunting. That's and I'm amazing. shocked you're getting, I'm shocked you're getting eight. Like I got six and a half in clean water. Yeah. Six, six and a half. But I mean, where it really shined was with like four dozen decoys in that pursuit, like a dozen goose floaters, three dozen ducks, all my normal gear through the lily pads and the thick weeds and the swamp, I still did four and a half to five. That's amazing. I want to get one of those. Are you just doing like the, like the conversion kit type thing? I have an SPS mini swamp runner. 
dude. So it uses the three horsepower Predator engine, and yeah. it's a true long. It's a true tie, like tie. It's designed from like the Taiwan builds. It's a true long tail. That's amazing. That would be so perfect for a lot of the swampy areas down here, and like in Mississippi, Louisiana. Um, I, there's one WMA here that I'm not going to mention, but here in Alabama, where you absolutely have to have that. I can paddle it. For sure. the most part, I can paddle it, but there's some spots where it's even too shallow to paddle. And if you're not, if you don't have some type of mud motor, you're just not getting through it. So you, your boat still does need to float with this motor. It does three horsepower. It's not like a surface drive because I also have a, I have an XL F4 1651 with a 37 horse gator tail surface drive. I mean, I have that. I've got the kayak. They all have their different applications because there is mm-hmm. no perfect boat in my mind. Yeah. Um, I truly, I love kayak hunting. I love kayak fishing. There's just some spots that I want to use a big boat to get to. Like there's mm-hmm. some spots on, on the rivers by me where it's a seven to nine mile run to get to the areas I want to hunt to the closest launch. Yeah. I've, and I haven't hunted them. I haven't because it was just too far to get to. Because mm-hmm. at six miles an hour wide open in the pursuit, that's an hour and a half run. I, I've never even ran that thing for an hour and a half wide open. I don't know if the two gallons of gas tank can get me there. Yeah. 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 You definitely, uh, you definitely don't want to take that chance because even at, even with the kayak, if I go five miles and my motor stops working, it it sucks, but I can at least do it. You know, it's a, it's a paddle vessel. You get stuck that far back there with a boat and you're pretty much calling somebody to come get you out of there. (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much. That's like, yeah, that's bad. But like the boat's going to open up so many things like that for me. And that's why another reason why I picked up a Flint this year, because I wanted that smaller lightweight one. I will be hauling the Flint with the big boat to get back to some of these spots that mm-hmm. other people can't get to. Have you ever, so uh, have you ever used the, um, the, what's it called? The suspends all terrain carts. I have used one once I am purchasing one, like those heavy duty suspense carts, which are, um, are real similar to like that heavy duty wilderness systems carts where it's got mm-hmm. that nice bunk and then big that carts where it's at if you're hauling a lot of weight in a heavy kayak. It's amazing. So I actually used mine um, last season on this place. It's actually the same WMA that I was telling you, or you need a mud motor to get through a lot of it. But there's this one little spot that has a, a creek that's about 300 yards away from the parking area. And sure. me and a buddy were like, hey, we want to hunt this spot across the creek, but. There's no way to get across this creek. It's deep. Um, but you had to walk. You had to cart it like 300 yards through a cornfield full of mud. And that was the first time I'd used this all-terrain. I was like, well, I'll bring the cart, man. I haven't needed it yet. We'll see how it works. And, dude, it did it like a dream. I mean, I'm not going to say it was, like, easy necessarily because you're still carrying a kayak on a cart, you know, through yeah. a field. But compared to other carts that I've used. I mean, the the F-12 is not a light boat, and we were able to just throw it up on that cart and go, and it was not bad at all. And, See, that's, uh, I love that's it. where the kayak shines. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so, and there's some small spots I hunt that you can't get a big boat into. You just yeah. can't. And, I mean, they're decent paddles, um, but it's just areas that you can access. I mean, that's where the kayak shines. It gets you into these little areas that, unless you have a kayak or some sort of skiff or something like that, you're just not getting there with traditional equipment. No, I love it, man. And I probably limit myself a little bit in a lot of places. Cause I'm always going to be drawn to the water access. Um, 
even some places where you don't need it. Uh, I shot a big deer in Kentucky this year. I shot a a really good buck on uh, November the 11th this year. And this place was not a water access place. It had water, but you didn't need water to to hunt it. And I think I literally hunted the one spot that was a mile or more away from a, a road system. And that's where I killed that buck at. Um, so it was, it was definitely, it definitely worked in my favor for that. But if I would have hunted the place hard all week, I probably would have killed a buck, not kayak. Right. But for me, like I said, that's just part of the experience for me. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do what I can to try to make it a water access hunt. If I, if there's any possibility of it. And, uh, and it's, it, I just love it. I love every part of it. It's, it's more, it's, it's not necessarily more work, but it's different work. And I, yeah. You don't see as many people utilizing it, which, especially if you're going to chase on public land, in my opinion, getting to where other people don't go and going that extra little bit of effort mm-hmm. makes all the difference in your hunt. It's the same for like duck hunting. I mean, I can go hunt big public marshes and be 150 yards from someone else. And yeah, we might shoot some, shoot some ducks or I can grind it out and get back to these places. Other people just can't get to and spend the time to get there where it's dragging my kayak three or 500 yards through like knee deep muck until I can get to water to get into these spots. It's, it makes all the difference. It does. And like I was saying earlier, you know, I, I like to hunt areas and be intentional about when I'm hunting them and not put a bunch of pressure on a spot, um, you know, until the conditions are right. And most of the time I can do that with confidence, knowing that nobody else is probably getting in there either. Because right. I just don't see a whole lot of people out there. Like in our in 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 one of the main areas that I hunt, uh, it's one boat ramp, and I may see. You know, there's about two or three other guys who do it on a regular basis out there, and you're talking about thousands of acres that that they can hunt <laughs> that is only accessible by water right there. So sure. we're not running in on each other for the most part. Uh, with the exception of one of the guys, we all have a pretty good relationship and we text and, you know, help each other out. Somebody kills one, well, you know, everybody kind of knows where they killed it at. It's not, it's not secretive as nearly as much. And, you know, like I said, we have one guy in that, that does it. That's definitely not that way. And he's kind of a, (laughs) he's kind of a tool bag. Um, And we've all kind of, we've all kind of experienced him being a tool bag like that. And so, uh, but I mean, it's really kind of a group of, a group of us and we treat it kind of like our own, like lease. It's like our own hunting lease, you know, and we, we treat it as such. And, and the way I see it to anybody who is willing to do that, to kill a deer, if they happen to get into one of the areas that I've, that I've hunted or that I want to hunt or that I know has deer, if they do the work to get there and they find that spot on their own and not like, and what I mean by that is they're not like following me um, right, right. or going on some of my YouTube videos. I've had this guy that I was telling you about, he's gone on my YouTube videos and tried to figure out where I'm hunting at out there. And that's how he kind of found out about the area and told me it to my face. I was like, yeah, that's how I found out about this. Um, that's taking internet scouting to an inappropriate level. Yeah, it, it was I, there's a there's a long story to that. that I could tell you the whole thing. Uh, he got to a point where he was like commenting on my videos and being like, "Man, I can't believe we had trail cameras go missing in there." And 
I'm not saying you're the one who stole them, but it sure is convenient that you were the person in there and like just wow. kind of all kind of accusations and stuff. But he, uh, <laughs> um, he found it that way. But for the most part, man, if somebody just goes in there and we happen to run into each other, it hasn't happened yet. But if we happen to run into each other in the same area or somebody's hunting, I find hunter sign. It's kind of like you did as much. I, I respect that because you did. Right. I know the. I know what it takes to get back here. And you did it. You did it on your own. Power to you, man. Let's let's help each other out. I agree 100%. Like, respect earns respect, right? I mean, like, you're putting in the work. You're getting it done. You're not – you're looking at the sign. You're looking at the different access points. You're like, I can do it this way to get here. And you put in the time and effort to get there. And if you're really going back in, I mean, it's not easy work. Even if you're using a kayak and using that water access to benefit you, it still works to get far enough back in there to have a successful hunt in a lot of places. Absolutely. It's it, like you said, it's a different kind of work. It's a, you know, I would personally at this point, I've done a few like long, like two mile, three mile hikes to get back into an area. I would rather use a kayak just as far as the ease. It's a little bit of work loading it up, you know, the front end work, getting your boat unloaded and it takes time. But as far right. as, like, actual effort that it takes, it's mostly mental. It's not nearly True. as physical as hiking. Um, and mo- for the most part, I'm, I'm where I'm hunting is where I'm landing the boat at, where I'm putting the boat, where I'm parking the boat on the beach. Like, I'm hunting somewhere close to there. I'm not doing a lot of spots where I have to walk a long ways from my kayak. Sure. I'm, I'm usually hunting fairly close by. And so, like, even dragging a deer – uh, I'm not dragging a deer two miles, you know, I'm dragging right, a deer right. 200 yards to my boat. And then it's just smooth sailing from there on out. You know, you got the boats doing all the work. Right. Especially when you're running a motor, even if you're paddling yeah. though, I mean, yeah, the extra weights, extra work, but it's still the boats doing a lot of that work. Dude. And I've paddled a lot of deer. I've actually, I've paddled <laughs> way more deer than I've gotten out with a motor. And it doesn't even matter, dude. I would paddle 10 miles with a deer and never even get tired of it. Because you're just so, like, you're so high on that, like, sure. emotion. And it, the whole thing is enjoyable. I would I would take my time. If I shot a deer 10 miles back and I had to paddle it out, I would take my time. I would just, I wouldn't be, like, grinding it. I'd just be, I, I didn't care if I get home at 3 o'clock in the morning. It don't matter to me. Right. It's going to be fun the whole time. That, and and that, that's the best part, too, because you're sitting there and like when you drag a deer out, it's behind you and all you see in front of you is work. Right. It's, but yeah. when you're taking out in a kayak, the deer's in front of you. Yeah. Like that's like I haven't done it, but I can totally see the mental aspect as you're paddling and you're just staring at it. Like I can totally see that. It's like that's just a continual high because you're like looking at what happened there. Whereas when you're dragging a deer out, man, all you see is the hill in front of you and down trees and dead weight behind you at that point it's just a grind yeah and you're you're dragging a deer over the tree limbs it's just not fun to drag a deer like no there's not. not a lot more physical uh activity that happens like dragging a deer like that will let you know how out of shape you are and uh or- I've, I've actually started um on the few deer that i've killed just walking into an area uh i've packed them out recently more recently i bought a pack that i have the ability to do that i like having that option even if i'm using the kayak if i shoot a deer with my bow and it happens to run 
a mile or something, you know, I want to have the ability to pack it out if I need to. Now, I'm going to do everything in my power to get the deer back whole because I like the the footage and I like the pictures of the deer in the kayak. But right. if, it, if it comes to dragging a deer a mile and a half or just <laughs> packing it out, and that, that just makes life so much easier. So I started carrying some uh, meat, some of the meat uh, bags. Sure. And um, I carry them in my pack all the time just in case. See, like packing deer out for me doesn't even cross my mind because we have CWD in Wisconsin and mm-hmm. our pack out rules are very different than other places. We can't leave anything behind and the rib cage needs to be stay attached to the spine and the head needs to stay attached as well. So you have to pack wow. out that whole section. All you can basically do is chop off the quarters and the rest you have to have to try to pack out. And that's, it's all got to come out. That's wild. So to me, packing out, like when you're not allowed to separate like the rib cage and like the head and like leave any bones or any trace behind, it's like, it's easier to drag it at this point. I think that is interesting to me because I've seen videos from Wisconsin where the hunter packed out a deer. You're not, I, I just went over, I looked at this two years ago and you have to leave the spine attached. Hmm. I'd be interested I'd be interested. Is, now I'm curious. Maybe I might have read it. Maybe you can separate the rib cage from the spine, but you have to take everything. With you. At least in there, maybe, maybe not in CWD areas, like in CWD areas, you have to, which I hunt a CWZ zone. So maybe not. Okay. But I thought it was a statewide rule. I don't know. I've seen, I've seen a pretty popular video of a guy packing out a deer in Wisconsin. So now I'm going to have to look it up. Now I'm going to have to look it up. I'm, I'm half tempted to look it up right now, to be honest, if I can quickly, because yeah. I'm almost positive. I really am. It, I mean, to me, like, it's just kind of, I get it, but it would be a little bit ridiculous just for the fact that that carcass is going to end up somewhere, you know, it's not going to end up it, indoors, <laughs> you know, it's going right. to, they're going to throw it, it out it, on the side. Like you have to put carcasses somewhere. Uh, we actually, in our CWD zones, we have sponsored dumpsters for carcasses. That's wild. That's crazy. To go to landfills. And maybe with, like, maybe this was in not a CWD zone. You know, that's right, that's a very right. real possibility. But uh, that would be, God, that would suck. You know, because yeah. a lot of people are going deep into those like marshes and, and swamps and stuff out there. I'm- I was there last year. A friend called me. He called me. It was late in the late in the gun season. He goes, "Hey, I just shot my first buck." I'm like, "That's awesome, man! Congrats!" I'm like, "You're calling me because you need a hand, aren't you?" He goes, "Yeah, I am." I'm like, "I get it. We're good. I'll, I'll come out there and I'll give you a hand." And it was, oh, it was a long ways into a swamp, and it was thick. It was thick with buckthorn and everything that you would have in a swamp, and. It was knee deep muck in some spots and almost waist deep. I'm like, well, we can't walk that way because I didn't bring waiters. And it was work. And, it, and as you were saying, um, like you don't realize how out of shape you are until you pack out a deer. That's what my buddy was like. And and he's like, I didn't realize. He flat out said, he's like, I don't re- didn't ever realize how bad I got until I started to drink this deer. Yeah, dude, it's 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 miserable. And I've done it a couple times. Um like I, I shot a buck last year that um, it was a kayak access hunt, but the deer, the spot that I was hunting was about three quarter mile from, from where the boat was. And I drug that deer that whole way. And that's about the longest drag that I've ever had to encounter out there. Um, 
Sure. And I could have, I very well could have packed it out, but I figured uh, I want to have the pictures. I shot it on a morning hunt, so I have all day to get it out here. I just paced myself. I'd go a couple hundred yards at a time and stop, take a break for, and, and I'm, I'm like this with everything. Like if I, if I've shot a deer, I'm going to soak in the moment almost every time. Like, right. So when I drag, I drag 200 yards, sit down for 45 minutes, take pictures, right. you know, share the picture with friends and family and stuff and just soak it all in. And if it takes me three hours to get it out of there, I don't care. You know, um, I've done what I came to do and uh, I'm going to, awesome. I'm going to enjoy That's a great it. way to that's a great way to look at it. And I found it quick. So I'm going to read you the regulations and it doesn't specify zone. So you okay. can tell me how you interpret this. All right. Okay. Here we go. This is Wisconsin from 2020. Hunters may divide a deer into as many as five pieces to facilitate removal of the carcass from the field, but the head must remain attached to one of the five parts of the carcass. The hide lower legs, if removed, do not count as one of the five parts. Only one deer that has been quartered may be stored or transported at a time prior to registration, but quartering deer can be transported with intact deer. The lower legs up to the tarnished joint on the hind legs and up to the carpus joint on the front legs may also be removed. All parts of the deer except the entrails must be removed from the field. Seems pretty clear. Five parts. So if you take off the four quarters, that's the rib, the spine, and the head attached. Yeah, I mean, tell, I'm not saying I don't know whose video that is. I've never seen it. I'm not going to call anybody out on this. That's not my job. If it was, yeah. if he did something illegal, he already been reported, right? Because sure. nobody, but and maybe I read that wrong. But I read five parts, and if you take off four quarters, what do you have left? Well, the one I'm thinking about probably, I mean, it was these. It was the this person's probably most popular video, but it's not like a. It wouldn't be like a big, huge name that a whole sure. lot of people have seen. Um, sure. But that's wild. I mean, I've had stuff like that happen, man, and I'll, I'll go ahead and, and I don't mind saying it on here, but like there's weird rules about like uh, carcasses or, or like any type of gut matter going into the water. You can't sure. leave it I can in the see water. That. And I've had videos where um, I, I didn't know that. I mean, that seems like a ridiculous rule because – you know, if you, if I throw fish got to eat too, right? Yeah. If, if I throw a gut pile in the water, what's the difference in using like chicken livers to catch catfish, you know, like, right. It's, that's going to be gone so fast. But I actually had a guy send me the law and he was like, Hey, I know you didn't do this on purpose. I know you're not trying to break the law, but there is a, a rule on this that you can't, you can't actually do that. It's against the law. And I was like, wow, Oops. well, you learned something. So it, I mean, it's not that big of a deal for me to just leave it on the land. Um, right. I mean, you're right there. I mean, yeah. you're on dry land when you pro you're most likely on dry land when you shot the deer, unless you're hunting over some sort of water area, which to me, an archery, I, if you're doing that, I give you credit because you can even track a deer then. Yeah, no, I mean, most of our, our, our terrain here is pretty rocky and mountainous. Okay. So most of the time, like when I beach the boat, I'm going uphill. From there, like the water's at the bottom, the lowest elevation, and I'm I'm going uphill, and so sometimes like I'll I'll gut a deer right there on the beach. But part of my reasoning for doing that is that seems like the best way to get way get rid of the waste, you know. And right, um, and also there's the the aspect of I don't want some other joker out here 
riding around seeing a, pile. seeing a gut pile and be like, oh, somebody's hunting in here. Maybe I can hunt here. I want people right. to not know that you can hunt that area. <laughs> you know, like right. I know I I get it completely. I mean, where we hauled that deer, I mean, a lot of depending on where we are and depending on the scenario, a lot of times we'll gut a deer before we drag it out to save the weight. Yeah. Right. I mean, a lot of people do that. Um, there are certain spots where we've hunted where we intentionally didn't gut the deer out even on that land. We loaded it in the back of the truck and we gutted it at a, at a house and mm-hmm. threw it in the garbage can. Yeah. Because we didn't want anybody to have any idea unless you're that good of a tracker where you're like, there was blood here and follow the blood trail yeah. unless you saw that. I mean, I didn't want any obvious sign like on this public land we were hunting, like we're hunting. here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, I get it, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the same way. Like I just, I just, uh, I've done a lot of work and a lot of, uh, spent a lot of time trying to find these spots and, and be successful on these deer. And I've been able to do it and, like I said, if somebody finds it on their own, that's fine. But if somebody's, right. if, if somebody happens to follow any of my content and is looking like the day that I shot that, that buck that I was telling you about, I got back to my boat or to my truck that afternoon and there was an odd, oddly, like it was December the 5th and there was a weird amount of, uh, trucks at the boat ramp that day. And I was like, huh surely all these guys aren't hunters. Like surely some of them are fishermen. And I had a note, I had a note sticking on my truck that said, Hey Parker, love your content. Love your channel. Thanks for what you do. And I was like, most of like, that's great. Like that was nice of him. I appreciate him doing that. Um, That was some guy I'd never even seen before. Like, I don't even know. I didn't recognize any of those trucks. And, uh, and I thought to myself, I'm like, this would be a great compliment if I ran into this guy, like at the airport. And he told me that, Right. <laughs> but the fact that we're here on my spots, you know, on in the areas that I hunt, I don't really like that. Um and now there's all of a sudden there's all these extra random vehicles there. Yeah. And yeah, I see exact right. I don't know what it ended up that was I tagged out with that deer, so I, I didn't hunt it again for the rest of the season. I'm hoping that uh that's not something that we have to worry about. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I get it. Like, I don't put out a lot of content. Like, I don't do any video stuff. Like, I would like to get into it one day. I just don't have time right now. I'm really trying to up my photography game before I do anything else. And really, I, I have a really big goal this year is to try to tell my hunts, like, the story of my hunt through pictures. Like, yeah. I really want, like, each picture that I post to any type of social media to really try to portray what I was seeing and feeling in that moment. Rather than just, like, your snap and shoot. Like, I really want to try to up my photography game this fall. That's yeah. my goal. But I have a very very identifiable truck like if you follow me on instagram you can't miss it it's a tan built to serve ram 1500 with a black soft topper with an exoskeleton (laughs) you can't miss my truck so if you're driving like if you like i don't have a giant social media following um but if you follow me and you see my truck you know it's my truck yeah like so i know exactly what you're saying like where someone recognized your truck and i've actually started thinking i'm like is it like if I if I start continue to grow and I continue to grind it in this industry, I might get something super inconspicuous like like a regular cab Tacoma and not put a single sticker on it. Yeah, yeah. I used to drive a Hummer, and that was like <laughs> that was like I had uh, like opening day one year. I was on a different WMA, one that I had. It was literally the first day I ever hunted it, and I get a Facebook message from 
some random person that I didn't know. They're like, hey, man, saw your truck parked at the boat ramp. I imagine you guys are hunting so-and-so WMA. If you kill anything, let me know. I live real real close. I'll, I'll help you drag it out. <laughs> Super nice. But it told me, like, yeah, Hummer is probably a really recognizable <laughs> vehicle. Um, yep. Especially a Hummer with a kayak trailer. Like, yeah. there you go. <laughs> you know, so now I've got a just a regular Silverado. And uh, it's, you know, you're going to see a lot of them out in right. the woods. You know, it's not anything that super sticks out. But I got a great big tethered sticker on the back of it. And that's where people... So- that's how people recognize it. Recognize it, yeah. They got it's got that, and then a new canoe sticker on it, um, which I realized it was probably dumb to put all those stickers on it. Uh, That's why I don't have a single one on my truck at this point. I've thought about it. I've got like stickers lined up, and I've thought about like then ever. And my trucks are. It probably doesn't matter because my trucks are already recognizable enough, right? But it's like it's just one more way for someone to know exactly who I am. Well, you know, the thing is for me is that I try to be. I try to not think like, oh, people know who I am. Like, I don't ever want to. I don't feel like that. Like, I don't feel like people should know who I am or people know. And when I walk into a sporting goods store that, you know, people are going to recognize me from my videos. I just feel like a normal person that just the same way as I was before. Um, But then the more you have those type of situations happen. I got a message from a guy um, last week two weeks ago, something like that. He was hunting in Kentucky in the same place that I was hunting. He saw my truck there driving around. Um, didn't realize it was my truck until he watched my video of that hunt. And he was like, man, I saw your truck driving around. I saw it in the video. By the way, the buck I had shot. I saw the story is I shot a buck, a good buck. Um, that morning, like right as I got set up in my tree, shot a good buck, sat there for a little while longer had another buck come through uh, about 10 minutes after I shot. I filmed it, and then I had a freaking Mondo buck, like a giant, come <laughs> 20 yards and just watched him, and I got some footage of him. And this guy was like, that big buck, I got it on trail camera. I recognized it, uh, and I got it on trail camera. And he sent me the picture of the deer. So there are cool situations like that where you make right. those connections, um, and, you know, you – you get some intel. He ended up sending me the trail camera picture of the deer, um, and it was 100% the same deer. And it was just That's really cool. cool. He said it was about a mile away. The thing that was weird, he said, it's about a mile away from where you were hunting. And I'm like, how does he know where I was hunting at? Like, he had to do some serious right. research to know exactly where I was hunting at. But uh, it was just, a, you know, you have those cool situations like that. But it really is important when you're creating content and putting it out there for everybody to see, like I have been burned on some of that stuff in the past and I don't want to get burned on it again. You know, like I get it. I get it a hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's not, it, it sucks to put the time in. And then like you said, people internet scout off of, off of you and like use your videos to like backtrack where you are. You can't put anything like when I'm on the water, I try not to put any post, any kind of picture that has anything that could be like a landmark to people who, who know that water, that, that water source. Well, um, sure. There's one spot that I hunt and I'm not worried about people. Um, people listening to this, knowing about it, but it's got a big, huge, like a great big boulder, like 20 foot tall, 
20 foot wide. It's just huge, a big, huge boulder sticking up out of the water right where I beach my kayak at. And it's hard not to get that boulder in the pictures. But I promise right. you, anybody who is familiar with this water source <laughs> is going to be like, oh, I know where that's at. Because it's just so easy to see. And like bridges, right. getting like any specific bridge or anything like that, any part of the boat ramp, like I wasn't as uh, careful when I first started as I am now because I was more concerned about making the video good. And if it had the boat ramp, I wanted those shots, you know, I wanted right, specific right. shots. And But now, man, like I've had people comment on YouTube like, hey, that looks like so-and-so lake or that looks like you're hunting uh. this river. <laughs> and I'm like, uh. why would you do that ever? Like, right. Well, not like that's another thing. Like, people don't recognize, don't even realize what they're saying is so detrimental. Like, yeah, I accidentally threw like. There's a background of a picture, right? And I'm I'm just making this up, right? I have a took a picture holding a giant fish, and people see the bathroom. Yeah. They're like, oh, I know right where that is. That's this lake by this house. And I'm like, why? Like, if I'm on fish and I set this picture out, like, why would you tell everybody where this is? Because not only did you ruin it for me, you ruined it for yourself. Yeah. Because now anybody who sees this content is going to be like, oh, I'm not far away from there. Let's go pound these big smallies. And that's just an example, right? But it's even worse with deer hunting. Yeah, it is because, you know, these guys are – they can be ruthless, man. And and regardless of what people say, there are people who are genuinely happy for you when you shoot a deer. But right. there's a lot of people who are jealous and – they don't want to Absolutely. see other people be successful. They want to see themselves be successful and they will not even know you, not know you from Adam and purposefully go in and try to ruin your area, try to ruin your spot by telling people about it. And it's just social media is uh, a great thing in a lot of ways, but it's a, it sucks in a lot of ways too. And that's one of them. I, people just can't be genuinely happy for you. No, they can't. And then it's that whole culture now of, oh, you still let a girl should have given another year. Was that yeah. five years old? Was that four years? Like, and nobody, I mean, Wisconsin had a long tradition of how we registered deers. We'd go to bars, we'd go to gas stations and you never heard anybody talk like that. I mean, maybe a couple buddies at the bar joking around be like, oh, that buck was tiny. Like just, and it's nothing more than like just two guys having drinks, just giving your buddy a hard time. But now on social media, people are just ruthless. And yeah, I can't count. I had to, I had to stop on a lot of that. Cause I could, I couldn't keep biting my tongue. Like I kept interfering myself into a lot of that. Like, like just calling those people out, not necessarily to start a fight, but just to see like more along the lines, just to try to like, try to change that culture. Like a big thing with me in Wisconsin, like is crossbows are illegal for anybody to use. And I'm a hundred percent okay with that. Because if you're not going to put the time into practice with a bow, I'd rather you use a crossbow and have an ethical harvest. I would. That's me because it's all about the harvest. To me. Like an ethical harvest is top priority to me. Yeah. So if you're not going to build that muscle memory, if you're not going to practice and you're going to just pick up your compound bow and just go out there, I would much rather you threw a handful of bolts down range with a scope and shot it with a, with a crossbow and did that like and know like yeah you're still at range limited you still have to worry about twigs and trees just like a bow treat it like a bull but at least you took out the human a lot, a lot of that human issue with it right mm-hmm. um and there's so much bashing on social media for like a guy my age using a crossbow oh you just get tore up yeah and i i have a crossbow i have a longbow 
I'm getting a recurve bolt and I have a compound bolt. I use whatever works best for whatever stand I'm going to hunt. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, and I don't care because it's all legal, but I mean, it is such a taboo thing. Like, Oh, you should be able to pull a bolt. Well, do you also know I have two ruptured discs in my back and someday I can barely even stand. Yeah. Like some days I can't pull a bolt. Like my back muscles and my disc in my back is like, no, you're not doing that. But I can still get to my private land and a ground blind and sit in a chair. Mm-hmm. So should I not hunt? Yeah. People uh, I've, like I, I got a comment on a YouTube channel just the other day about that buck that's right there, and people people were like, "Oh, it's a that's a two year old." So this guy was like, "It's a two year old. You should have let it get bigger." Number one, it wasn't a two year old. Number two, um, <laughs> uh, I don't care. Like, right, right. I was like, I, I genuinely was happy with my decision of shooting that deer. Like, if I shot it, I'm gonna be happy about it, and that's. Like, what I want to do through my brand and, and everything, I want to be a guy that's, number one, genuinely happy for other people when they're successful, especially when they're successful because of something that maybe they learned from my style of hunting or they learned from a guest on my podcast or something like that. You know, that makes me thrilled. That's why I do it. I don't right. do it. I don't do it for anything else other than I want other people to, to learn how to do it. I want them to find – I want to add value to their life. Um but number two, like I want to, I want to be a guy that can be happy for any type of legal harvest, and and so that's why sometimes, like, some days I'll get out there and be like, you know what, I'm shooting whatever I see today, Just, right? And that's gonna make me, it's gonna make me happy. I'm gonna be thrilled that I shot. If if I happen to shoot a spike that day. I'll be happy about it, you know, and I know that at this point in my, in my life where I'm at now as a hunter, there's probably not a lot of situations that I'd be happy with shooting a spike, especially not in my home state. Um, right, right. But, but if I'm out of state and it's the last day and you know, I've spent my money, I'll be happy with, I'll be happy with anything. Like I right. just, just the way I am. I don't like, I'll tell you what I'm not happy with eating tag soup. I hate it. It's the worst soup that I've ever eaten. I'm not a soup guy, but I would choose every other kind of soup over tag soup. I hate it. Agreed. And, agreed. and if that if it comes down to shooting a, a spike or a four point in on an out of state trip, your boy's going to do it. Like I'm just going to. And uh, I would do the same. I would do the same. I mean, it's no different. Last late gun season. I didn't have an opportunity at a, at a buck what I wanted to shoot. I, I took a doe towards the end of the season. I, I didn't care. I was happy to put meat in the freezer. It was a good-sized doe. I was happy with it. What I was ecstatic about was my niece shot a seven-pointer for her first buck ever. Yeah. Like, that made my whole trip more than me taking that deer. Like, my doe, I mean, my 15-year-old niece shot it with her great-grandma's 32 rem. That's awesome. I mean, I mean people need to be – people need to learn – how to be happy that way. I want to be a guy where if anybody tries to down talk somebody else's buck in front of me or somebody else's harvest, somebody shoots a Jake or whatever, I want them to know that there's really no room to do that around me. Cause I'm, I'm going to be like, dude, get over your freaking stupid self. Like quit being, quit being a thorn in my side. Like you, you are everything bad about, everything right now and so like i want i I agree i want to have that opportunity now every time i go into the woods i'm going with 
a setup uh, with the exception of on days when I just want to shoot a doe. Um, but most of the time I'm setting up to kill a buck. I'm setting up to sure. kill a mature deer. That's my hunting style. That doesn't mean I'm always going to shoot a, a mature deer. I may shoot a smaller, more immature deer or whatever, but I'm going in with the intention of I'm setting up to shoot mature deer through the tactics that I'm using or whatever. Um, but I also, you know, the, the experience is everything for me, man. Like whether it's, you know, if I'm kayaking, I'm my, I'll tell you this, my standard is significantly lower. Uh, if I can kayak the deer out too, you know, like, sure. (laughs) I'm happy. I love that whole thing. Like my dad, I took my dad out after I tagged out this past season I took him out to an area I call Kill Hill, and it's a spot okay. where we've killed between me and him. Uh, he lives in Texas, and I'm in Alabama, so he only gets to come hunt probably once a year. Um, we do our rutcation out there, and there's a spot called Kill Hill. And at this point now, today, he's shot two bucks, and I've shot five off this one hillside in the last five years. Wow. Um, I mean, almost every year, every year since I started hunting out here, I've seen a deer die on this same hillside within 20 yards of each other. And uh, so we went out to this little area and, and dad, he, you know, he has a limited amount of time that he can hunt. And right. um, we get out there and he's, we're, we're wore out, you know, we're tired and we see this little spike come running by and we're both set up in our saddles and, uh, everything about it man we hadn't i was already tagged out so i was actually getting to hunt with him and film his nice. hunt and nice. uh i turned around look behind me and i'm like dad there's deer running at us i get up the camera see that it's got antlers any antlers right. at all he pulls up his gun shoots it left-handed it was his first deer out of a saddle um we got to be together when he shot a deer and we haven't done that in years i mean it's been so long since we've been able to do that um and just everything, and it was his first deer to kill using a kayak. That's awesome. And so it was his first time he's gotten to put a deer in a kayak and paddle it out. And he was so looking forward to that. Dad's 57, um, not getting any younger. And right. we probably only have a limited amount of years before we can't hunt that way together anymore. He's not going right. to be able to go and, and hunt out of kayak because it, it is physically demanding of a person. And so uh, it was just so cool to be out there with him and get that on film. That's my favorite video I made all year. I've shot, I shot four, four bucks, five bucks, something like that this past season. And, um, a couple of great deer and dad shot that little spike. And that was my favorite hunt of the season. Just because the experience, I don't care, man, about the, the antlers are great. I do care about them for me. A lot of times. It's a part of it. It's it's a part of it, right? I mean, that mature buck just, that mature buck in the right situation makes the hunt. Yeah. But then that spike in this situation with your dad and it, that's what made the hunt. Yeah, it did. And, uh, I mean, there were so many cool things about it. We were up there in saddles together. We hadn't got to do that. This is his first year saddle hunting. Um, doing it with the kayak, kayaking in there together and getting getting on film. Yeah. I like, I got it perfectly on film. Um, it was just everything that went into that. That's why I do it. I don't do it for the for the antlers. While they're a great plus right. and they're a big part of it, that's not the main reason why I do it. And 
And so that's what I've always tried to have come across with my with my brand, with my channel, with my podcast, is that, you know, we're out here to have to make good memories and to live our lives to the fullest and to set goals for yourself. You know, if a big buck, if shooting a 150-inch deer is part of your goals, then don't settle for anything less than that. But if right. your goal is I want to shoot three deer this year on public land or I want to shoot three deer, period, then don't settle for anything less than that. You know, like achieve your goals because your goals are your your own, you know, Brad. Right. It doesn't matter what other people on social media think about your goals. You're not Mm-mm. your goals are for you personally and for your own personal growth. You got to just don't worry about trying to impress people on social media. I know I don't. I mean, and if you for who I am is if you don't like me, don't follow me. I don't care. Yeah. If you're if your goal, like if, if those people are living their lives based on somebody else's goals, then I guarantee you I'm having more fun than them, right. <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so do what you can to have fun. I know people who have shot deer that they wanted to kill. They absolutely, like, they pulled the trigger because they got jacked up and they wanted to kill it. And then, sure. you know, through whatever circumstances, they they almost, like, they they gave that experience away to be remorseful and to be sad and to be upset because the deer wasn't as big as what their friends thought that they should have shot. And so that makes the experience, it, it, it puts a downer on the experience, you know, just, I do. I just don't want to, I don't want to live my life. I want to live my life on my own experiences and, and set my own goals and have my own standards. And I think everybody should do that and don't and I ever have to- put people down for it. I would really have to question the word friends because if you have friends telling you you didn't sh- – like other than like the joking, oh, that thing's small, but like in a completely kidding way, right? Because yeah. that's what friends actually do. But if you have friends berate you to the point where they're where you actually think, well, I made a bad choice, I don't know if they're really your friends anymore because they're really not supporting you and your goals. Yeah, you're exactly right. And Parker's goals are always going to be different than Brad's goals. And, Absolutely. And sometimes my goals may have a higher standard than yours, but sometimes – Yours might have a higher standard than mine, you know, like, like you're talking about going out with a longbow. Well, it, it should, if somebody's going out with a longbow, like first off <laughs> power to you, man, like you're It'll be a recurve. This. It's I'm already going to order it. Uh, I already talked because my first guest ever was uh, Jonathan Karch from three rivers archery. And we're going to get myself all set up here soon. So I can get some practice in. I've got my recurve this. getting a string on it right now. And I'm going to try to kill deer with it this year. Um, I want to kill a deer with it. I'm going to actually, once I get my unlimited, I'm setting it up for bow fishing to practice with it oh, the yeah. rest of the summer bow fishing. I'm going to do a light setup with the mud motor. That'll be cool. That'll so be it awesome. looks like a tiny little mud boat, like this little mud boat bow fishing rig, which Shoot, will be pretty yeah. sweet. That'll be sweet. <laughs> but it's going to really help build that muscle memory and that um and that muscle strength shooting that carp all night long. Yeah. Yeah, but that'll be cool. Some of the public lands I want to go hunt, I want to do it with the recurve and I understand, like, it's going to be hard. I mean, you're talking a very limited range. Yeah. We're not talking a compound bow here or a crossbow with 50-yard shots or anything like that. At this point, without having much practice, I'm thinking 10, maybe 15 yards is all I'm close to considering. Sure, yeah. I know he shoots, like, competitions at, like, 60 and 70 yards with his long bow, and he's got no problem shooting a deer at 40, but me, personally, no way. Yeah, it's not happening for me. Um, I'm excited about it though. You know, it's just another new challenge and that's, that's what I want. You know, I want, 
I want my challenges to be, you know, whatever I decide at the beginning of the season, this is what I'm going to try to do this year, and I want to do it. And I think one of them this year is going to be um, possibly, I don't know, it just depends on how it is when I get there to it. Uh, but I would love to not even pick up a rifle in Alabama this year. Um, All right. I love rifle hunting. It's a freaking blast to me. Uh, but just as a challenge, just to challenge myself, I only shot, I, I rifle hunted two days in Alabama this year and shot that same buck I've been talking about a lot, this this guy right here. Uh, the second day that I hunted with a rifle, then I was tagged out, I was done. And so <laughs> I shot two bucks with my with my bow in Alabama. And that was the first year I've done that. So now I'm kind of like, I could have easily shot that deer with a bow. So I'm like, sure, sure. Maybe I should, maybe I should just, just try it, just to see what, see what happens. Because if I did that, dude, that would be like a such a cool experience for me. Because I was raised in the South, I was raised in Texas, and in Alabama, where, I mean, when you deer hunt, most people do it with a gun. You know, right? It's not and like Wisconsin, a lot of northern states. Well, Wisconsin has a huge gun deer tradition. It is huge. Yeah. Um. But y'all's, y'all's gun season is pretty short, isn't it? Nine days. Ours, our gun season here in Alabama, our gun season runs from November, where I hunt, from November 1st through February 10th. That's gun season. That's, so every single, the whole, every day throughout that. Every day. Now. So do you have to wear blaze orange the entire time? Just a hat. All right, so that's like completely. So we have more gun seasons than just that. Our traditional gun deer hunt is nine days. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what zones you're in, CWD zones, all that change certain things. Um, the week after our traditional nine day is a seven day muzzleloader hunt. Then the weekend after that, there is like a four day antlerless only hunt in certain counties. And then there's a holiday hunt as well, which is in CWDs areas or other high-end quantities. But for the most part, our traditional season is just that nine days throughout the state. But during any gun deer season, you have to wear 50% blaze on the upper half of your body, whether you're using right. a gun or a bow. That's definitely not for us. I mean, in a lot of the South is this way. Tennessee is that way. Tennessee has a really, really long gun season. Georgia has a long gun season. Florida has a long gun season. And you're talking like center fire rifles sure it's a it's i mean that's that's the tradition here and we get so the way our season usually works is uh where i hunt is open from uh it it opens october 1st and uh for bow season then you get about seven days i think at the end of that you get about a week of muzzleloader um, and then gun season starts uh, uh rifle season starts and it'll run that long until you're tagged out. Now, a lot of the WMAs out here, um, they'll have specific gun hunts. So okay, so they'll have gun hunt weekends or weeks where it'll and usually they'll have three. You know, each WMA will have three, and so um, you can kind of travel here and there. And most of the time, you'll be able to find a gun hunt every weekend. In the national forest areas, um, you can rifle hunt from daylight till dark october that's i mean november crazy. 1st through february 10th i mean you're till you're tagged out um i can see it i mean 
I can see both sides of it because I mean we limit ours to such a narrow window and a lot of there's a lot of people that only hunt that traditional nine days and they really only hunt the first weekend of it mm -hmm. and our woods are so busy on public land it's crazy yeah it's to the point like it's 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 nuts because yeah if you get all these deer hunters out there 600 ish thousand in the state if i remember right was our is our take numbers normally for gun deer so you have that many people got to give or take five or ten percent that's too hungover to get out there and yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are from wisconsin it's a big drinking state um but i if you pushed it out throughout the year like that i wonder how much it, difference it it has on like success it's it's pretty heavy i mean um especially if you're hunting private land like a hunting club or something that has a lot of a lot of people hunting it um or and like these gun these gun hunts on wmas i mean the deer really just kind of go into hiding um oh we see it we see it absolutely in that nine deer hunt because you'll have a step like especially when i'm really big into both for that year um Two years ago, like I was talking about that season before, I knew the land I was hunting. I knew that 40 acres really well. There was two bucks I was chasing hard that I had a trail camera that I just never was able to get into range and work out with the bow. Mm -hmm. But I knew which way all these deers were, deer were traveling. Like I knew it by heart because I was in and out of there. Like I wasn't over pressuring the property, but I was there enough to learn it really well. Yeah, for sure. And by, and by Sunday, Saturday morning, Everything was pretty normal. Saturday afternoon, you could tell the deer were semi-spooked. Sunday morning was like everything changed. And that was all from all that pressure of all these people out there. And our private land butts up to public land. Yeah. So, I mean, we get pressure from that side and everything has changed. Everything changed and it changed because I watched it on the trail cameras. It didn't get back to normal till like December. Yeah before they actually settled down enough to where they were back in their old routine. Mm -hmm. It's, it's pretty crazy, man. I think pressure, pressure is the biggest thing that, that really kind of limits hunters or, or I guess hinders hunters um, in a lot of ways. I've hunted a velvet hunt in Tennessee. You go out to Tennessee and uh, there's, they do an August velvet hunt. And it's a three-day, three-day deal, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And you can kill a velvet buck out there, which is pretty okay. cool. Okay. That is kind of At the cool. end of August. And so you're you're killing these deer, seeing these deer in their summer patterns. Bucks are in bachelor groups. You're seeing the – I mean, my buddy – me and my buddy went out there this past year, and he shot – I'm talking about like a freaking giant deer on this place that this was the first time they ever let you do it, do the – the velvet hunt on, okay. on, this, on this place. So these deer had literally never been pressured during this sure. time of the season. Well, he goes out there opening day of the velvet hunt, shoots this giant buck on our first time ever even being on this place. And the people that were local, the game wardens and stuff were like, we've never seen a deer this big get killed off of this place. And it's because that deer goes into freaking hibernation mode whenever, right. whenever hunting season comes in they're not seeing deer like that during hunting season because i mean pressure's just so There's... insane he we just got to go on a day that they had never in their life ever seen a hunter at that right. point in the season and so um he killed that deer 200 yards away from the road i mean it was just that's awesome it was that's awesome. wild 
Um, and and that same buddy earlier that morning saw two bucks, two other bucks. One of them was way bigger, he said, than the really? one that he ended up shooting. Yeah, it, it's just, I mean, and that's why I say pressure is everything because there's no telling what kind of deer are actually living in your area. And it's the ones that you're seeing on trail camera and you're trying to hunt, you're trying to kill, and they're just not coming out in daylight. And it's the number one reason is because of the pressure. And, and so when you got gun hunts going on where pressure, you know, gunshot travels miles, oh, yeah. you know, literally the sound travels miles. And so they're hearing all that. They just go into in that mode. And that's that's the, the good thing for me about where uh, I'm doing the water access stuff is a lot of the deer that I'm hunting don't see any other pressure except for me. Um, sure, it's sure. very small amounts of pressure, so I'm able to, to to hunt deer and kill better deer than the average guy in our area because I'm doing the work to get there, and that kind of that right. kind of sums up my hunting style in a nutshell, and and really sums up what I do and the, the stuff I try to highlight is, um, you know, I want to I want to shoot good deer, I want to have a good experience, I want the experience to, you know. Um, I want to meet my goals that I've set for myself. Um, And I'm going to do everything in my power to to do that. And if that means getting up at one o'clock in the morning to go out and paddle five miles, then by golly, I'm going to do it. And, uh, and so I just always want to inspire people to do, do the same. That's awesome. That going that one extra step that going that pushing just a little harder to get to those deer that no one else gets to and make, makes all the difference. Absolutely. It really does. Absolutely. It does. Well, I think I think that's a great note to end this on. I mean, it was great talking to you. And let, but before we get off and anything, tell everyone how they can find you. Social media shout outs, sponsor shout outs. Give it all to us, man. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. As always, a big shout out to all of our partners, Spartan Forge, Tethered, New Canoe, and Scree Gear. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook and Instagram or subscribing to the YouTube channel. And be sure to check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.